I'm Bianca Vivione, and this is Ask Viv. Season 2, Episode 1. I know a lot of you are listening and thought that this day would never come. You know, Ask Viv is such a funny show because it has changed so much over time. I promised myself from the beginning that it would always be a show that was informed solely by the questions and needs of the listeners. And that was simple enough when I began because I thought that it was going to be a show on culture and society. And at the beginning, it was questions about the newest pop culture phenomenons and the newest exhibitions at the Whitney and the latest controversy in politics. And it was easy to give my opinion because it's what I've done professionally since I was 14 years old. I've loved always thinking for a living and as a passion. Every listener was just asking me to think and to think critically, and I could do that, and you'd get an episode every week. But then your listeners begin to trust you, and they begin to ask you about their complicated relationships, about moving away from their parents for the first time, or becoming parents, ending friendships, attempting to date friends. And so they ask you to relate, and I can relate. Even when I couldn't relate at all, getting married, becoming a parent, I would just stretch the confines of my mind, do a thought experiment, place myself in that person's shoes and attempt to empathize and that worked. And I rose to that occasion, but then I came to this other impasse in which people began to ask me, what do you do when you're at the end of your own rope and you don't trust your own mind? What do you do when you know that the person that you love is using you and you're deciding to stay regardless? Where do broken hearts go? How do I figure out who I am? Who is God? And has he forgotten about me? And you all were asking me to feel. And to be quite honest, that was something that I was not so comfortable with. I was raised in a place where self-preservation was the number one priority. Keep going no matter what by any means necessary. Protect yourself at all times. I had inherited this sense of tunnel vision. Don't rely too much on other people. And it's why I felt I was able to love people so deeply because I had had such low expectations of them. And I was rarely ever disappointed beyond repair because I was taught to be self-reliant. It's very easy to talk about people and love in these very surface level ways when your main priority is self-preserving because If anybody infringes on your peace of mind, delete their number. And if anybody demands too much of you and you don't have it, turn your back. If there's any kind of complication that you're not able to think your way out of, I would always say choose yourself and keep it moving. That works as a methodology of life if you're doing well. And I had been doing well for so long. But when I started to have the questions that you all have of what you do when you can't think your way out of life's issues, when you're trying to make ends meet and you don't have a dime, when you have these thoughts that are engulfing you and it feels like someone is in your head with you and you're wondering if you can trust yourself with yourself anymore. When you look at the relationships you've built and question if you can trust your private self with the friends that you've chosen because you've never truly revealed it and you're looking at the state of your affairs romantically, financially, socially, familially and you're asking yourself where is God now 
And when you get to that point, when I got to that point, I could no longer think my way out. I was no longer standing above you or apart from you, but right beside you. And I was in no position to give advice. All of a sudden, my greatest fear came true and I needed other people. And every ritual of self-preservation, complete independence, and fearlessness went out the window. I needed somebody I could call at 3 a.m. who would listen for four or five hours about the things that were on my heart. I needed someone who would immediately take the check when it came to the table without a second thought because they knew I didn't have it. I needed my mother, someone to just hug and cry to and tell me it was okay to just be young. And I was thrown into this crisis of inadequacy because I'm thinking I'm the person that people always need and I could do anything in the world and knew how to do everything except for rely on other people. I knew how to do everything in the world gracefully but fail. And I thought I was going to be failing for a week and I'd recover in two weeks or three weeks. And it was so hard to be updating people on the accomplishments of my professional life or posting outfits or traveling when in my daily life I was failing. And if I was doing well at all, I was doing well poorly. But I found, I found out things about myself about the type of person I am. I found out things about who God is and I changed so much. It took a really, really long time to understand how to need people. And I developed things that I've wanted to develop my whole life, discipline, patience, resolve, independence, survived on $100 a week in New York City. And above all, I can come back and it's not a thought experiment and it's not a mind game and I'm not playing with words. When I tell you now, I feel you. You're at the end of the rope and I feel you. You're on your last dollar and I feel you. You're wondering, is it love or is it something that's come to ruin my life? And I feel you. You're an artist and you're struggling to stay relevant, but you're tired of playing the game and I feel you. To be able to say, I feel you, I feel you. And that is something so special. And I'm here for the first time, so present and available, available to the struggle and unafraid of the fight in a way that I don't think I've ever been. I don't know anything about self-preservation, but I can tell you now about happiness and I can tell you about loneliness and I can tell you about friendship and I can tell you some real things about love and loss and privacy and disappearing and reappearing. I can tell you about failure and I can tell you about success. I can tell you about dreaming and I can tell you about a dream deferred because I feel you maybe for the first time. So welcome back season two, episode one. Now let's get to these questions because I know that you missed it and you know that's my favorite part. Dear Viv, I am a graduating senior with only eight months before I'm forced to enter into the real world. I have no idea what's next for me and I feel lost and empty. What are some tips you have for someone that's trying to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their life? Where's the starting point? The starting point is wherever you're at. I think that one of the biggest myths that we tell young people is that there's going to be a day where their life just starts. And here you are, 17, 18, 21, 22 years old, and we are asking you to discount all of the very real experiences and ideas that you've had about yourself for the last two decades. Your life starts wherever you are at, and who you are now is who you are, 
And I say that to say that you can give yourself a little credit for how far you've come and congratulate yourself. And I congratulate you. And I can tell you that I woke up the day after I graduated college and I was so frustrated. It was so unceremonial. You know, I had done the thing that I had dreamed of doing because I had dreamed of going to Columbia since I was a little girl. And I had the piece of paper and I had all the cords and the congratulatory cards, but I thought, what now? And it's very, very hard because we're taught this very messed up cycle of maturation where they say high school and then you go to college and then you get a job and then you get promoted through that job and then you get married and then you buy your first house and then you have your kid and then you raise the kids and then you retire and then you die. And that is a very white Western machination of what it means to grow up. And it's very hard in this changing time where it's harder to get a job and it's impossible to buy a house and nobody's getting married and nobody's staying married and half of everybody wants a dog instead of a kid. And you're wondering what does it mean to come of age in a meaningful way? And you have to decide what a happy life looks like. I knew before I graduated, I'm no good at any kind of office work. My nails are often too long to type. And I didn't know what I was going to do, to be honest. And I was somebody that had an idea of what my skill set was. I don't know what it is that you wake up having to do and you have to silence the voices of what other people might want for you or think about you. You have to come up with your own merits and measures of what a successful and happy life is. I was so afraid of failing and I felt lost and I felt empty that I began to try to become successful but using a metric that was informed by other people's opinions of me and my life. When I walked away from Columbia, I thought, okay, now you go to law school. I don't trust or have any respect for the law. I just thought, you're a voracious reader. This is what people do when they know how to read and they've graduated from an Ivy League school is that they go to law school. Never mind, I never wanted to practice. Never mind that I had no interest in learning Latin. Never mind, I've never woken up one day in the entirety of my life and imagined myself as a lawyer. It was just, this is what people do. And I, the first thing I had to do was silence those voices. I had to stop answering the phone for those people. You have to come up with what it means to live a meaningful life. And it has to be separate from your education because you can have a Harvard business degree and a measure of a happy and successful life can be cleaning up the beaches and surfing every day. And all the people judging you, they don't have to live your life. And if you still, you silence those voices and you still find yourself lost and empty, you have to start exactly where you are. You have to look around and the first thing you have to ask when you're about to graduate, and this is a serious question, is where do I want to live? I had grown so tired of New York by the time that I was about to graduate that I said, I'm going to move to Miami. And that was drastic because there was no real industry or work for me in Miami and I had never really been there. But I said, I just want to be in hot weather away from these people. So I traveled for a bit, came back and actually just decided to move up the street. (laughs) And I fell in love with Harlem all over again. And then I decided, okay, what's something you've been putting off? Okay, getting healthy. I had completely wrecked my body in college and I 
I was like, now I want to become fit. So I took up tennis. I started exercising. I mean, these are very mundane, everyday things, but I just started with what I had, where I was at. As far as what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, you have these keen instincts and hidden talents and hidden voices and ideas about yourself. And all you have to do is choose to entertain them. I would be lying to you if the day before I graduated college, I thought to myself, you're going to go out and write a book and come up with a TV show and do this or do that. I just knew the same thing I knew when I was younger is that I have something to say and it can't wait. I have to say it right now. And there was no place that was too small or unimportant to say it. If it was going to have to be an essay written as an Instagram caption, that's what it was going to have to be. If it was going to be in the New York Times, it was going to be in the New York Times. But I had something to say and it couldn't wait. And I still to this day can't tell you what my job title is or what it is that I do. But I know I'm probably always going to have something to say and it can't wait. Because it's what got me in trouble as a child. (laughs) You have to start with a really serious internal conversation. A really serious internal conversation that says, what does it mean to be happy? And that is going to change so often. It's going to change basically every day. (laughs) Right now, I'm sick. I have a cold. And today, what it meant to be happy was to go to the gym for one hour to call my mother to make sure she knows that I'm alive, to make it through one two-hour meeting without falling asleep, and to come home and watch 1960s rom-coms until I fell asleep, and that's happiness today. You have to you have to do this thing on a daily basis, even if you know the answer, and I told you, you're going to be a radio show host, you're going to be a librarian, you're going to be a culinary arts teacher. If I told you right now, it would still be a journey. If somebody told me, Bianca, you're going to be a writer, you're going to be a producer, you're going to be an on-air personality, I would have said, okay, cool, but what's that even mean? (laughs) And look at me today doing it, and every day I'm asking myself, so what does this mean? I've learned more about myself in the last year and a half that I knew my entire life. Somebody told you you were going to go to college and you go to college and you look around and you say, okay, so when's it all start? And you don't really learn how to even go to school until the day before graduation. You got to start where, where you are. You got to live right where you're at, love right where you're at. And the best thing is to practice fearlessness whenever possible. And whenever you are afraid to find somebody to lean on, that's gonna be there. That's it, that's at 21, that's at 47, that's at 99. You gotta live right where you're at with what you got. And I know you're asking, okay, well, does it get easier? And it does get easier. The more you find out who you're not, the more you realize the things that aggravate you and the things that you really deeply desire, the more you realize the kind of people that you wanna be around and don't wanna be around, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel bad, your taste, in clothes and food and places. The more you realize what disturbs your peace of mind, the more you realize the best ways to protect it. You learn, you learn who you are. I can tell you it gets easier. I can promise you it gets easier. And I can promise you in some ways it gets harder. And I can promise you that you're going to be okay. And oftentimes when I get really, really lost, I think of this this old woman I met in this little bookstore in Harlem and she told me, Behind you is infinite power. Before you is boundless opportunity. And within you is unending possibility. 
And she was right. Every day I'm finding out how right she is. Dear Viv, I am newly single and adjusting to the lack of intimacy in my life is the hardest part. My ex has already found someone to fill that void for him, but I can't seem to find anyone worthy. I know I should be patient and wait for what I deserve, but I'm only human and it gets harder to not settle every day. I woke up two days ago on my birthday and it was the first time since I was 18 years old that I did not have a boyfriend or was not seeing anybody on my birthday. And I was quite ashamed that I was thinking to myself, how does anyone do a birthday? I mean, I had been always deferring all birthday activities, gifts, surprises to whoever I was dating at the time. And I had big expectations. I say, I want to be taken out. I want to be surprised. I want to be wine and dined and courted and celebrated and exalted and revered and I do not want there to be any kind of budget and I just woke up by myself looking at myself and I was so confused that I actually went back to bed and it was one of the best birthdays I've had you know the thing is is that I understand what it means to be single and when you're really newly single you're thinking how do I fill a void fill a void but the fact that you believe that there is a void is what really is the root of the issue. I've realized more and more that it's so hard to be in relationships these days because we have so embraced codependency. We're always thinking that we need somebody. We need somebody because we want pleasure and we want affection and we're gluttons for attention. We need somebody. We need that extra helping hand or money and we need validation. We need to be told we're pretty on the days when we dress up. We need to be told we're smart we so desperately need 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 somebody and especially for women we need that person because we've been taught that that is such a measure of our womanhood is to have somebody to tell us that we're doing okay that we're doing well and a friend just won't do and when I realized that I had been so disappointed in myself because I was waiting around for a man at any given moment to let me know that I was not alone meanwhile I have the best friend in the whole world available 24-7 would go on any kind of date would walk with me for hours would cure any sort of loneliness I had and I know it's not the same and I will not sit here for 10 minutes and pretend that it is the same thing but so many days it's been enough and some days I was lonely I was lonely as hell and it was enough to make me take back any number of people that I had firmly decided we were done. But I had to stop telling myself that there was a void. I had to stop telling myself that. I am a whole person. Relationships are a great benefit. They are such a benefit. They are such a benefit. And they bring so much joy and complexity and getting to know people is such a beautiful thing. But there are so many relationships that they cannot survive past these honeymoon stages because there are two people who believe that they're half of a person and they're always looking and needing somebody and we make other people the object of our happiness when they're also looking for happiness and we demand from them the impossible make me happy and make me happy permanently and when they're not entertaining us or sexing us or 
buying us things or validating us when they are just being human and falling short, we resent them and we wonder where is the person that's going to live up to the person in my head? Where is the person that is going to complete me? They're not coming. I have seen love at its most beautiful. I mean, I've woken up next to someone who I thought this time it's forever, but they are not here and I am okay and I'm looking in the mirror and I am good and I am sick right now and nothing on earth stopped me from going to the pharmacy and buying my own cough drops and tucking myself into bed and telling myself it's gonna be okay and young people especially if you don't understand that you are capable then not only will you not ever truly know your own strength but you will not even actually be able to enjoy relationships when you're in them because you have an anxiety that the person is going to leave. You're constantly selling yourself short. You always are going to develop self-esteem issues of, is this person impressed with who I am today? Does this person love me today? Are they going to love me tomorrow? Because you so feel like you need somebody and you're afraid to be alone. I was so afraid to be alone and the worst happened. I'm alone. I've been alone. And I woke up and there was nobody hitting my line. And the people that were, I was completely uninterested. And I said, what if you just embrace this thing and I have learned myself and now I am a lot more cautious and comfortable rejecting people that I don't want because I'm I don't view singledom as a death sentence any longer and I appreciate my friends and I've learned their personalities and really really understood what makes them special and lovable people I am not looking at them as placeholders until I find the next man I am looking at the love in my life and counting it for what it is as such a gift and when a new gift comes along, I am going to embrace it and love them so deeply and kindly. But I am not looking for anybody to be a mirror of the goodness and greatness and beauty that I am. I'm not anymore. That's the gift I gave myself. The thing is, you could find somebody and settle, but guess what? When you're not loving somebody who is there with you mentally and spiritually, it's the same thing, if not worse, than being alone. Being lonely with someone else is the worst kind of solitude that there is. And the thing is, is that loneliness can distort the senses so much that you can go to a bar and think anybody will do and you can pick up anybody and you go home with them and maybe that itch is scratched for the moment and that desire is quelled but you wake up in bed with a stranger and you're thinking when you finally come to your senses what the hell was I doing wait on it learn yourself get a hobby go out and I'm not telling you I'm not, I'm not the corny advice guru telling you to go to your favorite restaurant and sit there by yourself because I've done it and that is bananas. It does not work. You feel so dumb. But get takeout and go home and call up your homegirls and go to the movies and find a hobby. Live a life. Live a life because there's nothing worse than getting and dating somebody who was waiting on somebody because they're not going to do anything but want so much from you that you cannot give them because there's nothing worse than somebody that feels themselves to be incomplete putting the impossible pressure on you to make them into a full person there has been so many men that were so intelligent and attractive and well off and beautiful people in my mind but they wanted me to convince them and every time I would come to an impasse I would say you are so special you are special to me, you are special to your parents, you are special to your coworkers and your friends, but I cannot convince you of that. 
I cannot make you believe that you deserve me. I cannot make you less insecure when we're walking down the street. I cannot have you continuing to ask me, why me? Why do you need me? Why do you want me? Why do you love me? I cannot be a man for you. Buck up. Get some strength about yourself. When I was 13, I wanted to be Tyra Banks. I wanted to be Hillary Banks from The Fresh Prince. I wanted to be Beyonce. I wanted to put an accent over my name. I didn't want to be Bianca Vivian. I wanted to be Vivian. And I wake up every day and I look in the mirror and that's who I see and that's who I love. And I'm not giving her away to just anybody. I'm just, I just won't do it. I just won't do it. Dear Viv, I'm in a three-year relationship with my girlfriend and these three years have been great. Recently, we started our sophomore year of college along with my best friend, and it seems to me that they together share a stronger bond than I do with my girlfriend or my best friend. When I'm around them, I feel like a third wheel. Their bond is so tight, and I can't help but envy how they click, and I feel as if I'm just an outsider. They said that they feel like sisters to one another, so I can't help that their bond is so tight. I definitely don't want the relationship to be ended because of me. I just want to feel a part of the group. I know it sounds childish, but I don't know what to do. Listen, I'm telling this to people more and more because I used to do it a lot to myself, but if you feel something, then just allow yourself to feel it. Don't write it off as childish. I used to think that anger was a really childish emotion. So if I felt angry rather than acting on my anger and expressing my anger, I would suppress it and it would become bitterness and deep felt resentment. And I thought that that was more adult than having the childishness of anger. So if you have any sort of sense of envy or being left out, then don't tell yourself that it's childish if that's what you're validly feeling. Instead, get to the root of that feeling of why you feel like you've been left out or sidelined in these relationships. But honestly, if you want to feel a part of a group, then you have to orchestrate group things. You have to get these people together and you have to involve them in your life. You have to have them rally around you in some way that makes you feel loved if that's what you really so need. But really beyond that, I'm, I have to tell you this. You say you're in a three-year relationship and that this is a feeling that's happened recently. Relationships have all kinds of eras and evolutions. There are friends that at times we felt more together and at times we felt further apart. These two people might be getting closer because there's something that they understand about about one another or an era that they're going through in life that you may not be going through. And the best thing you can do is attempt to empathize and understand where they're at in their lives. And if you can't understand, then to understand the sanctity of the thing that they share and just respect it and keep it moving because things are always changing. And also the nature of a friendship and the nature of a romance are so, so different. They're so different. And you have to understand that if you are her girlfriend, you are not going to be able to fulfill all the expectations that somebody with a sisterly bond would because Lord knows my best friend and my romantic partners are so different. Even the things that I tell them, the way that we talk to one another, they're so night and day. You have to think about the things that are special in the individual relationships that you share with both of them and you have to hold tight to that and to not feel as if their relationship is in competition with your 
your respective relationships with them, but that there's life going on, that you're all spending life together. And that's a very, very special thing. While entertaining the validity of your feelings, understand the root of it without justifying envy. It's not childish to be envious. Everybody that I've ever felt envious of or who has felt envious of me, I always know that it comes from some deeply rooted insecurity or sense of misbelonging or unattractiveness, something that made me feel less wanted. And it didn't matter if that was the reality of the situation or not. They can't make you feel included. Even if they stretch their arms to say, come in, you are equal. This is, you're the most important part of our lives. You're the center of our worlds. It wouldn't make you feel better. It really wouldn't. I can promise you that because insecurity is an inner issue. You have to deal with whatever the root of that is. The nice thing about dealing with the roots of our issues is that once we truly deal with it and say, I know what causes this and I know the reality of why I'm feeling this way, then it helps clarify the confusion of what we're seeing before us. Our suspicions, we learn to either trust them or distrust them. If we're envious, we either learn to trust it or distrust it. When we clarify our inner feelings about the things that we're seeing and what's going on with us, then we know the difference between what's real and what we feel and we're able to deal with it. Dear Viv, how do you keep yourself from infatuating and idealizing the person you have a crush on and are trying to start a relationship with? Is it even possible not to? It's impossible not to idealize and infatuate the person that you're beginning a relationship with. But why would you want to stop? That's the best part of starting a relationship. There's nothing better than those first moments of getting to know somebody when everything they do feels extremely important and special and everything that they say seems eloquent and the way that they look is so beautiful and you notice none of their flaws. That very short-lived beginning stages of a romantic relationship in which people feel perfect is really, really nice. The danger is in the next steps. When people reveal their insecurities and vulnerabilities and shortcomings, it's our real second nature to destroy any sense of perfection that we held towards that person and make them feel like, oh, another disappointment. And when they don't show up on time or when they don't call us back or whenever they don't do what we want them to do, when they've just run out of energy, the energy that it takes to appear flawless and faultless, we can often write them off. And I would encourage you when that begins to happen to think of the privilege it is to see somebody's inner self and how hard it is to fail in front of somebody that you are beginning to love and to honor people's humanity when they begin to show it, to not let it ruin this big grand idea that you have of them, but to let it expand it because how special it is to to know and be known and to learn to be relied upon and reliable. I'm one of those people that one of my biggest shortcomings in relationships is that I love to appear flawless. I mean, I love it. I love to be the person that for the first month and a half when a man sees me, you would think that I'm just in high couture and makeup and perfect pin curls for the entirety of a relationship and that I've never had a bad day and I never get sick and I never get angry because I'm so understanding and if they cancel the date I say that's okay we can rain check it do it another time I mean I just used to love feeling so agreeable because I thought well 
women are perceived as so needy, constantly wanting. And I thought about what the average woman does. And I thought, I want to just show how truly incredible I am. But how exhausting. It was just so exhausting. It's exhausting trying to appear faultless. Honestly, for even 10 minutes, it's very, very exhausting because I do think that we live in an age that's so deeply duplicitous in which people are constantly advertising perfection, constantly advertising infallibility, always trying to be and say something interesting, and you end up completely hiding your real self. And it's not just romance, it's friendship too. You know, when I talk to somebody, I want to know, how's your family? Where are you from? How did you grow up? You know, what are your interests? How do you spend your days? Where do you live? How do you live? And if you're sitting here telling me about, you know, your job and the raise you got and how you're learning financial literacy and your exercise regimen, I will be so bored. The thing Things that are those weird, in-between, niche, little dramas and complexities and faults and odd birthmarks, the things that we have about ourselves are the, the real only things worth loving. I found when I was younger that in that infatuation phase was always when I was the quietest. I was so quiet. <laughs> because I know as soon as I open my mouth I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal something I'm gonna mess something up I'm gonna reveal that I am pretty argumentative sometimes a bit arrogant I have the ability to make myself right in any situation and make the other person wrong always opining rarely giving credit where it's due highly critical (laughs) and you know what people have loved me anyway and so no it's okay to be infatuated and to idolize as long as it's not somebody that's hurting you. It's okay to build somebody up in your mind because honestly, there are some days where there are people, oh Lord, there are people in my life who I love, who there are some days where I just want to outright hate them. I mean, I will just short of wish death on them. And it is remembering those first days, exactly what they wore, remembering that white horse that they rode in on and the thing that they said that just takes me back to why I'm on that journey in the first place. It is that time at the very beginning where you remember how good it was and easy and you remember that person unfolding for you and becoming more intricate and more interesting and it'll make you fall in love all over again. So don't wish it away and don't rush it out. Take time, live where you're at, love where you're at, keep it, hold it close because you're going to need it. Oh friend, if it continues, you're going to need it. That's all the time that we have for today. I'm not even going to bother to do the long outro where I tell you all of the grandiose thoughts that are running through my mind. I'm just going to say it's season two, it's episode one, and I'll be back literally next week. This is a promise. I'm Bianca Vivion, and if you ever need anything at all, you can always ask Viv. Here in the dark, I stand before you. This is my chance to show you my heart. This is the start. This is the start. I have so much to say, and I'm hoping that your arms are open. Don't turn away. I want you near me. What are you? Here's who I am. 
I'm counting. Oh, I'm counting. I'm counting. 